said in trying times, it's important to know your situation, and we covered Revelation chapter 7. Today is more of a spiritual warfare uh, talk, uh, part 3, Know Your Enemy, Overcoming Satan's Strategy. If you come back at 2 o'clock, uh, we'll finish off this series, Know Your Destiny, from Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, let's pray. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not, let, not, let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, says the Lord. We hereby declare that we are a group of people who say that the most important thing in life is not our wisdom or our strength or our riches, but the fact that we know the Lord. And so we stand by that. We declare to the heavenly realms that we are washed in the blood of Jesus, that his blood is powerful, he, it cleanses us from every sin, so that no accusation from the enemy can stand. And so we pray now, as we expose the strategies of the enemy, that we will be protected from him. Put a hedge of protection over myself, my family, over the people here and their families, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll go to the first slide here. And again, we're talking about trying times. Got to hear some of your stories last night. Everybody here has something in their life, a financial issue or a health issue or a family issue. And I just wanted to spend the hour or the remaining hour just talking about the role of spiritual warfare in the midst of our trials. And the big idea I wanted to get across today is that Satan often uses what I want to call a counterfeit voice. Uh, I've been using this illustration all weekend of this one fella, and if you're new, uh, I have to fill in some of the backstory of this one fella who works for his father's business. He's been working there for seven years. He's extremely depressed, wants to get out. His father, who is extremely controlling, will not let him get out. And whenever he brings up the subject, uh, his father will say something like, Oh, how are you going to pay the bills and how are you going to make ends meet? And this fellow would tell me that ends all conversation. That is the conversation ender. This is how he gets me to shut up because I have no response. And a fear comes over him when his father says this. Uh, I made the point yesterday uh, that when the father says, how are you going to pay the bills, how are you going to make ends meet, the effect of those words is not to ask a question but to make an affirmation, a very frightening affirmation, you will not pay your bills, you will not make ends meet. Today I want to just make this one point, that when that voice resounds, recurs, plays over and over again in this fellow's head, which drives him deeper and deeper into depression, by the way, but when that happens, I would like to make the case that that really is the voice of the enemy. It is masquerading as the voice of his parents, and since this is a good, God-fearing, Christian young man, uh, he believes that obeying his parents is obeying God. So in sense, when he hears this magic phrase, he thinks he is hearing the voice of God. He is following it as if it is the voice of God. It's the voice of his earthly father, but he's following it as if it's the voice of God. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the voice of God, especially when you see the net effect on this person's life. It's destroying him. It's the voice of Satan, 
masquerading as the voice of God. So there is a deception that is going on in this fellow's life. I was hoping when I talked to him that I could unmask that deception and we'll hope for the best. I'm still in touch with him. But anyway, that's the idea. Uh, Satan's strategy is to use voices that are seemingly familiar, ones that you may be drawn to because you are already committed to Jesus, but because of a twist or a slight alteration, it is not the voice of Jesus. And so my word to you this day, folks, is whatever trial you're undergoing, the big thing is this. You have to be aware, discerning, use wisdom in the voices that you hear and listening to the voices that you hear. Okay, uh, now that we've established that idea, let's go to two pictures. And if you're here for the first time, I've been trying to tell the the group, that when you read Revelation, you almost have to read with your right brain to think more creatively uh, because the images are impressionistic. They're not meant to be you know, exact photographic replications. There are two sh- visions <laughs> in Revelation. Oh, wait a minute. I guess I better pass these out, right? There you go. There are two visions. One in Revelation 13, one in Revelation 17. So the one on the left is Revelation 13. The one on the right is Revelation 17. Those of you who are biblically knowledgeable might recognize what they are. The one on the left, which sort of looks like a tiger or some sort, is the beast. Some people will say the Antichrist, but you can read in Revelation, the first seven verses, a description. And this painting of Revelation 13 over here on the left pretty much sums it all up. There is an animal that has the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion. It has seven uh, horns and ten crowns. I'm not sure if that is totally right, but anyway, uh, seven horns and ten crowns. That is the beast. On the right, it's a little hard to make her out, but that is a harlot. Your NIV will say a prostitute. Her name is Babylon. Babylon, the prostitute, Revelation 17. She is holding a cup with some filthy uh, wine of adultery that she is drinking from. She's dressed in very fine-looking clothes and has all sorts of jewelry. And uh, she drinks the blood of the saints. The beast on the left is given authority to make war upon the saints. Okay, these are the two visions. (laughs) These are the two visuals. Again, I'm trying to say don't get a little bit... Don't get too carried away with the literalness of the picture. It is really what is conveyed by the picture. Um, Again, think in terms of Don McLean images. Okay, Uh, let's take a look and see if we can understand each one. Two visions that picture Satan's strategy. The beast. Well, what is the beast? What is the Antichrist? What's going on in Revelation 13, which we'll read in a second? And the phrase I have on the screen there is demonic government. I guess you never put those two words together. Or maybe you have. You know, maybe you think of the government as being demonic. That picture there is a statue of Domitian. He is the Roman emperor who was in power at the time at which John wrote the book of Revelation. He is the one who declared himself Lord of Lords and God of Gods. He is the one who demanded of all the subjects in the kingdom. Uh, to bow before his statue and to make the confession, Caesar Curias, Caesar is Lord. He imprisoned his own family members and killed his own family members 
because they were atheists, according to his uh, rather warped imagination. You can see the ego all over that uh, statue. Okay, demonic government. Why do we say demonic? Well, uh, if you, we will go over through the description. Uh, the beast in Revelation 13 has blasphemous names. He demands worship. And people say, who can make war against the beast? So this government, and Domitian fits it very, very perfectly, is hostile to God. It demands total allegiance and can never be challenged. Now, some of you might think the U.S. government's rather demonic. Uh, maybe. That's a parlor discussion that we can have later. But, um, you know, the U.S. government has some freedoms. It doesn't demand total allegiance, and you can challenge the government. So, not so much the U.S. However, there are nations in the world today where that description pretty much fits, pretty much fits the bill. If you go to China, you want to advance in Chinese society, maybe in the highest levels of Chinese society, you need to become a member of the ruling party, which is the Communist Party. Does anybody know what the official religion of the Communist Party is? Atheism. You don't advance unless you renounce all forms of religion. Total allegiance. Uh, you can go to a church, a government church called a three-self church in China. You will see what I believe are genuine Christians, genuine worshipers. But there will also probably be a government official sitting in the pew with you, worshiping with you, but monitoring the sermon to make sure that nothing anti-governmental is said in the sermon. And then unchallenged. Can you challenge the Chinese government? Two words. Can you say Tiananmen Square? You can, uh, but maybe with uh, great, great dire consequences. Okay, North Korea, similar. Saudi Arabia, similar. Uh, if we go to the next slide, sorry about the uh, arrows kind of blocking there. There are many, many different views on who the Antichrist or the beast is. And if you were here last night, you can see my stance on that. I can acknowledge a manifestation, a fulfillment, multiple times of this spirit of the beast. 1 John 2.18, many antichrists have already come. So at my dinner table, I have Steve Notley, who says that uh, Domitian, the first century emperor, he was the beast. And I say, yes. Would you say that he was a demonically deranged person, and Steve would say yes, and I'd say, okay, then we're in agreement. If Martin Luther was at our table, <laughs> he would say the Pope is the Antichrist, and I would say, yeah, there were probably some demonic elements to his reign of power in the 1500s. And then Tom Donworth, my other friend, would say, no, 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 the Antichrist is still to come. There is a, uh, is Nikolai <laughs> who's going to come later on, and he's the ultimate Antichrist. And I might say, I think you have a point there. Would you say Nikolai is demonically uh, controlled? And if Tom says yes, then I'd say you're perfectly in agreement with me. So whatever the manifestation, I can grant that to you. I can grant that to your pastor or whatever commentary or radio preacher you listen to, I am willing to agree with all of them, so long as they would agree that what is really being described is a demonic form of government. In other words, power, governmental power, the ability to force you to pay money, the ability to force you to join the army, the ability to, uh, to force you to 
perform services for them is a wonderful opportunity for the devil to take advantage of and exploit. I can wreak all sorts of damage if I do that. Okay, so that's one form in which the devil manifests himself. Now, we'll get to a point where we'll bring this further down because my ultimate point is that same voice that informs these demonic governments speaks to you on a personal level all the time. But that's just one voice. Let's go to the second one. The prostitute. The harlot. Babylon the harlot. Not demonic government, but a demonic society or a demonic culture. Um, John was wearing one of these free Actually, right here, there's a free set T-shirt which describes a ministry, I believe, in Calcutta uh, designed to help rescued women from the sex trade in Calcutta to give them job skills and a new way of life. Okay, why is it that there is this thriving sex trade in Calcutta? I am here to tell you that there is something about the society in India that is demonically controlled. Okay, not, not just that people are demonically controlled, I think that's the case, but the system, the entire system, the economy, and you know, the social values are demonically controlled. So not just governments, but entire societies can be that way as well. Now let me read this, well actually let me tell you who this, let's go back for one second. Let me tell you who that is. That is a goddess named Roma. R-O-M-A. It's not in your uh, sheets at all. But she is the patron goddess of the city of Rome. And if you are a very patriotic Roman citizen, you say, I love that woman. Maybe you have some neighbors who have uh, American flags flying in their yard, and they say, I love America. And they look at the Statue of Liberty and go, I love that woman. Okay, this is the equivalent of the Statue of Liberty for citizens of Rome. And if you enjoyed Roman life, you might be willing to say something like, all that I have is due to her. Look at us here in Rome. We've got the highest standard of living in the world. People come from all other lands just to come because of the jobs and the prosperity that is here. Uh, Rome has some pretty good armies, brutalistic sometimes, but those armies have been able to clear out all the riffraff so that roads are nice and safe. Trade can take place. If you're a maker of fine goods, you can sell those things. People, all goods can come into our city. Uh, everything is free trade. Wealth can be built up all because of her. I'm happy to pay my taxes to Rome because of all that she gives to me. Why don't you be the same way, you stupid Christian, you? Well, anyway, this is Roma, and she was the one who everybody loved. This is the image that informs John's vision. He looks and says, Roma is not a beautiful goddess. She is a prostitute. This is the one with whom you've united yourself. So there's different things that inform the images. The beast is kind of informed from the Old Testament. Daniel 7 has the governments of Babylonia, Persia, Greece, Rome, represented as beasts. So the beast of Revelation 13 is an accumulation of all these anti-God governments. And then this image is really inspired by this goddess here, a contemporary of the people in the time of Revelation. Well... What does she stand for? 
We'll look in Revelation 17. We'll see that she loves wine or intoxicated pleasure. Let's all get high. She commits adultery with kings. So sex is something that is an obsession with her. By the way, uh, the Roman Empire, if you want to do any study, was a pretty sexually immoral place as well. You can go to Italy to this day, and a big tourist site, this is just a sidebar, but a big tourist site is Pompeii. This is a city that was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius when it erupted in 79 AD. And it's pretty cool because you can see uh, the outlines of human figures who were buried in the ash that came very, very quickly upon the city. But archaeologists have also unearthed in Pompeii a wall of rather pornographic images, okay? And I won't shine that on the screen, but uh, if you actually uh, investigate this, they've tried to figure out what is all this, and they've come to the conclusion that this was the menu for a brothel in Pompeii with pictures for visitors out of town who could not speak Latin, okay? So this is life in Pompeii. When in Rome, do like the Romans, uh, and this is the goddess Roma that John is characterizing. Anyway, adultery with kings, worship sex, and she's dressed in gold and pearls, so she worships money. Hmm. A society that likes to get high, worships sex, and worships money. Sound like a society that you and I know? There are some people, let's go to the next slide, that would say that whereas North Korea, China, Saudi Arabia, they embody the spirit of the beast, In Revelation 13, the spirit of Babylon may be embodied in the United States or Western Europe or countries influenced by us. Uh, I list here Thailand, Cambodia, I guess I should also put India, but those are countries with thriving sex trades. And let's face it, they have a thriving sex trade in part because American consumers create demand for these thriving sex trades. Okay, so the spirit of the prostitute is embodied in these freer societies. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about who this prostitute is. Uh, That's a little messed up there, but anyway, (laughs) demonic society. Uh, My friend uh, Steve Notley would say, okay, it was Roman society in the first century. Uh, Martin Luther might say it's the papacy in the Middle Ages. Uh, My friend Tom Donworth might say, oh, there's a false church that's coming during the Great Tribulation. I sit there and I say, I agree with all of you. You're all right. Because Satan has been demonizing cultures and societies forever. There are many, many manifestations of Babylon the harlot. Well, what do we do? The first thing, ladies and gentlemen, is this. I would like for you to just kind of get into the mind of Satan, the enemy. Think like screw tape letters. You know, what is his strategy to undo us? I believe he actually manifests as both these two figurements. So the beast and the harlot, the beast and the prostitute, are two forms in which he appears and comes to us. Now remember, Satan is an angel. He is a spirit being, just like any other spirit being or angel. Like God, he is basically invisible, like any other demonic spirit would be basically invisible. 
But spirit beings can manifest themselves. Okay? They can appear to us or become, you know, speak to us in some form that is relatable to us as space-time beings. These are two modes. He can come to us in the form of the beast, the spirit of the beast, or he can manifest himself in the form of the harlot or the prostitute. So here's the strategy. If you're harassed or oppressed by the enemy, when he comes to you in the form of the beast, his strategy is to get you to take orders from a counterfeit Lord who promises to keep you safe. I remember I said about I talked about counterfeit voices. All right. Some of you, like this fellow I've been telling you about, who's been trying to get out of his father's business, hear a bullying voice in your head. It is a threatening voice. It intends to create fear. And because of fear in your life, you are paralyzed. You cannot accomplish the great purposes God has in your life. Uh, You don't advance in your Christian life. Risk is something that is unacceptable to you. And so faith as a next step is a very, very difficult thing. You're, you're preoccupied with just keeping everything in order. You're afraid of things that he might take away. And so you, you do no risky things. And you sort of hem yourself into a little box. Okay, if that is a description of at least part of your Christian experience, I'm here to say... The enemy has attacked you in this form. Now remember, uh, this fellow keeps thinking, I can't leave. I should remain depressed in my father's house, my father's business, because in that way I will be safe. If I leave, I am no longer safe. So the threat is always against your safety. Uh, Some of you may come from uh, non-Christian households. Maybe you grew up with parents who are hostile to the church or hostile to Christianity so that when you decided to become a Christian, they felt like their world was coming apart and you were going to give up the American dream or something like that. If you have heard threats from them, you better not do this Christian thing or you will be disowned or you're no son or no daughter of mine. That is your parents speaking. But the impact of those words on you as you receive them is the voice of the enemy. This is what I mean by counterfeiting. You think you are hearing the voice of your parents. And there is, on one level, the voice of your parents. But the way it is applied to you, especially as you receive it into your heart and into your spirit, this is the work of the enemy. Everyone got that? So I'm merely just exposing what I believe Satan does every day. But that is one voice, okay? There is another experience that I'm going to describe which is equally demonic and equally satanic. And that is the voice of the prostitute. Sometimes he comes as the beast. Sometimes he comes as the harlot. Here the strategy is to get you, and I use this word rather uh, deliberately, to unite yourself, to join yourself with a counterfeit community who promises to keep you happy. American society, Roman society, the demonic culture of uh, Bangkok or Thailand. Now, the prostitute is symbolizing a group of people, 
society. You can unite yourself to a prostitute. That's a very graphic image. Forgive me for being PG-13. But uh, fellas and women, you can unite yourself, join yourself, conjoin your body with a prostitute. That is the image for uniting yourself with this demonic society. Now, the voice of the prostitute is very, very different from the voice of the beast. It does not threaten. It seduces. It doesn't make you feel fearful. It makes you feel really good. And if you are at a place where you're bored with your Christian life, or you are restless in your Christian life, or you are wishing you had more, then you may be susceptible to the voice of the prostitute. Now, get the contrast, okay? If you are fearful of losing what you have, then for me to be effective against you, I will come in the form of the beast. If you're fearful of losing, I will exploit that fear. But if you wish you had more, I'm not satisfied with what I have. The grass is greener on the other side. There's something I'm missing out on. Then you are susceptible to the voice of the harlot. So depending on what your temperament is, depending, and this is always controlled by your past, a lot of it, folks, will be controlled by your upbringing, but whatever your temperament is, there will be an appropriate strategy to bring you down. And so my word, folks, really is to be aware, number one, of what you're like, and number two, of what Satan will do. Now let's talk a little bit about more counterfeiting here. <laughs> On the left is the beast image that I showed you before. On the right is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay. Let me just do a little experiment. If you have glasses, just take them off for one second here. Just take them off. All right. Can you tell the difference between those two? <laughs> Some of you are saying, I can't see a thing, which is like me. All right, put them back on. Now, I just want to, this is just a playful exercise, all right? And you see that they're both rather ferocious animals. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, and the Beast, the Antichrist, all right? And if you were actually standing in front of either one of these, my hunch is that your initial reaction might be to take a step back. Is this a safe place to be? You know, C.S. Lewis in Narnia says, is Aslan safe? No, he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. And so you, you're kind of like on your toes. You're a little bit nervous, right? There's a little bit of fear from the awesomeness of these creatures. You want to almost leave, right? Okay, that similar sensation of awe because you are face-to-face with power and authority and someone who can do you harm, that is actually a, not a bad thing. That is what you are constituted to be before Jesus. You are seeking someone who has power over your well-being because Jesus is benevolent in his power over your well-being. You are sensitive to the voice of authority. The only problem is Satan knows that and he will counterfeit a similar voice of power and a similar voice of authority. And like this guy I was describing, some of you have listened and obeyed out of fear. Okay, so that's the idea. Satan takes something that you normally gravitate towards in a good way and just sets up a counterfeit. Let's just take a look real quickly. Why do I say all these things? 
Because if you just look through the passage in Revelation 13, it is deliberately patterned against Jesus. Here we go. On the left, the beast coming out of the sea, ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns. And by the way, I tell all my students, you always interpret the imagery in Revelation in the context of its own symbolic world. Don't go quickly to the, the real world. So people say, ten horns, is that like the European Union or something? And I say, relax, relax. Satan, the dragon has ten, let me see, the beast has ten horns and seven heads because Satan, the dragon, has ten horns and seven heads. The Antichrist is in the image of Satan, the son of Satan, just like Jesus is in the image of God and the son of God. And that's what it says in Colossians 1.15. Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. Every horn has a blasphemous name. Jesus has many crowns, and on Jesus are worthy names. You are all searching for the worthy one. You are searching for the one who has uh, magnificent names. Well, the beast has names, but they're blasphemous names. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, I'm just going to do the underlined portions. In verse 2, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. He has received, it's been bestowed upon him, just like Jesus has had all things committed to him by my Father. So it is a mirror image, but it's a negative image. All right. So this is black and white, this is white and black. Uh, verse 3, the beast has a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Jesus says... I had a fatal wound, and I rose again. So there's the power over life and death. Remember, talked about your safety, right? Will I be alive? Are you, is my life in danger? Jesus has the power over life and death, and the beast has this fake image of resurrection. Next one. And we'll just do one more. Worship. The whole world worships the beast, just as every creature under heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea worships Jesus. There's a part of us that we're made to worship. And uh, I don't know if you know, you ever see like old footage of uh, the Third Reich? You know, Hitler's in the motorcade. This is all propaganda films by Hermann Goebbels. And there are these crowds of people screaming like they're the Beatles or something like that. And they love Hitler. It's hard to believe, right? Well, there was this kind of deception so that even Hitler was worshipped by the masses. I don't want to get too off the mark, but if any of you study North Korea, there have been interviews with people, like Diane Sawyer got access to the streets of North Korea, and they would interview people, and they'd say, what do you think of Kim Jong-il? And every single one of them says, he's a wonderful man who loves his people. I mean, you go and you see pictures of him, you know, all over the place. What do you think of the United States? It's an evil, evil country. And there's part of me thinking, are they saying that just because they're on camera? Or do they really believe that? And it's very possible that they believe that because of the propaganda. They worship the beast in North Korea. Okay, uh, let's do one more. Can you tell the difference between Babylon on the left and this sweet little uh, bride on the right there. Uh, maybe you've had a few drinks. Can't quite tell. But, you know, they're both pretty. I uh, guess I'm talking to the guys here. Uh, they both have, you know, bare shoulders. They're both looking right at you and smiling. She's dressed up for you. They both have nice jewelry. 
And just as when you saw those two beasts, you want to take a step back, fellas, don't you want to just take a little closer look? Hmm, I don't want to leave. I want to stick around. She makes me feel good, like I'm worth a million bucks. Okay, that similar feeling of being drawn in is a natural feeling. Now remember, these two ladies symbolize a community. We all want to belong somewhere. No one wants to be alone. No one wants to be lonely. No one wants to be an island. We want to belong somewhere. Well, who are you going to unite yourself to? Uh, your mommy, fellas, always said, pick the nice girl. Don't pick the one on the left. But sometimes it's hard to tell. They both smell the same, right? Okay, that is the same scenario that comes to us when we decide to which community will we unite ourselves. And Satan knows you have a need to be in the right community, the bride of Christ, the church. You are part of the bride. You are meant to be with the bride. But don't let your desire to be with the bride result in your choosing to be with Babylon the prostitute. Real, real quickly, the parallels are the same. Great prostitute, which is a woman, the bride, which is a woman. Let's turn to the next one. Uh, there is kind of this majesticness to the church, as the kings of the earth bring honor to the church, uh, the kings of the earth commit adultery with Babylon the harlot. Next slide. Uh, there is an attractiveness. Uh, verse 4 of Revelation 17, the woman's dressed in purple and scarlet, precious stones and jewels. The church is a precious jewel in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21. One is a mirror image, a rather deceitful mirror image of the other. And then last one, they offer drinks. Are you thirsty? All of us, your souls are thirsty, right? I want to drink. I want to satisfy myself. Well, they both offer drinks. Uh, Babylon has a golden cup with the filth of her adultery. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. Uh, the New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, offers living water. You can satisfy your thirst right here in the church. But both women offered satisfying drink. Okay, let's move on. And just to summarize, know your enemy. Who is the one that will do you in? Who is the one that will do the most damage to you? Who is your true enemy? A soldier pointing a machine gun at you? Or a beautiful woman in a short red dress? Which one is the greater threat? Now, I guess I want to say, don't assume it's the first one. The one who will do bodily external damage to me. Satan can do damage internally. Not by killing you, but by corrupting you. They are both him. Both these images are the enemy. So here we go. This will try to summarize it. And then we will try to say how we can combat it. Know your enemy, folks. When Satan manifests as the beast, he speaks lies birthed in pain, seeking to intimidate and create fear, and it will be very effective if you are insecure and anxious. Let me just say this real quickly. I, I may regret this because it sounds a little bit stereotypical. 
But I feel women more so than men, their deal is insecurity and fear. They live with constant insecurity and constant anxiety and constant fear. The threatening voices are very powerful in their heads. And so I'm just throwing it out there that women, this is an overgeneralization, I know, but women may be especially susceptible to the enemy when he comes in the form of the beast. Men, this is the voice of the prostitute, lies birthed in pleasure. It seeks to seduce and create complacency effective against you if you are restless and bored. Again, this is an oversimplification, maybe an overgeneralization, but in my opinion, men are susceptible more to the prostitute, uh, the enticement to pleasure. Now, it's interesting. I, I separate these two, but the, they really are the same thing. Pleasure and pain are, are very, very similar in that lies are birthed through both experiences. Let me just talk to the men just for one second. I, I am fairly convinced that most of you can remember the first time you viewed a pornographic image. That's a moment of pleasure, okay? But in that moment of pleasure, which is very, very powerful, endorphins are released and so on, there are lies that are birthed in it. Okay? There is a, a lower view of women or a degrading or disrespectful view of women and that, that gets birthed in the moment of pleasure and reinforced in the moment of pleasure. I've counseled many uh, young men who have, had homo- who have homosexual tendencies or they struggle with homosexual tendencies. If you go back and just talk about their history, there is some experience, a sexual experience that they can trace back that was the beginning point for these tendencies. Okay, why are these experiences so powerful? Why does it remain with them? Why does it stay in their memories? Because pleasure is a tremendous reinforcer. This is the only way you will receive love and acceptance. That's a lie. But it's a lie tied to a pleasurable experience. And sometimes, folks, if you ask me to minister over a long period of time, I will go back with you over your past. And I will find the initial pleasurable experience in which a lie controlling your life was given birth. Pain works the exact same way. Okay, we all remember our pain. We all remember our pleasurable experiences. We all remember our painful experiences, and lies are equally easily birthed in pain. If you were beaten as a child, let's face it, it happens. Okay, if you were beaten or physically abused as a child, think of all the lies that are birthed in that. You can't trust anybody. Adults who are supposed to be trustworthy are not trustworthy. So you have trust issues now. Okay, you don't need to have those trust issues, but that lie that no one is trustworthy was birthed in this experience of pain. And there's no way I'm going to experience that pain again. It's like the Scarlett O'Hara, you know? She eats the beet. I will never be hungry again. And so she lies and cheats to make sure that that, that, that vow definitely takes place. We are just like Scarlett O'Hara. I shared my testimony three years ago, in which I I can't do the story now, but the gist of it is I I hated myself for 20 years. I went through 20 years of my life with self-loathing because I blamed myself for the divorce of my parents. That's foolishness. 
I've heard that many divorced children of divorced families do that, though. They blame themselves, hate themselves irrationally. But the trauma of the divorce is so great that they have to process it and they just drop the bomb on themselves. That was a lie that I lived with for 20 years, all birthed in pain. And I never faced it. I never forgave my father for 20 years because I didn't want to face the pain. See? Very, very powerful. Okay. Painful experiences, pleasurable experiences are moments when Satan births the lies and the lies are usually the basis for the temptations and the words of seduction and the words of intimidation. Okay, so what do we do? And this is how we'll end. And this is the point. Regardless of where you live, you've heard the voice of the beast, you've heard the voice of Babylon, and here's the remedy. Oh, well, we'll just summarize again. The, the beast is, I will make you pay. If you live for God, I'll take such and such away. If you live for God, you'll never get a job. If you live for God, you'll never get married. That type of thing. If you've heard that voice, that's the voice of the beast. The voice of the prostitute is, I will make your day. If you live for yourself, I will give you what your heart thinks it wants. The grass is greener on the other side. Okay, here's the uh, remedy. You know, I think we'll tie the communion into this if we can. How to combat them. Remember, the beast is always threatening to take something away from you, and he plays on your fear of losing what you have. And this is a hard one. I'm almost... I'm almost hesitant to share this. The verse says that Christians combat the beast by overcoming him because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They say to themselves, I have given over everything already. Your threats to take things away from me are ineffective because I have given everything to the Lord and I am not afraid of loss. Now, this spirit that I'm trying to describe to you, I was trying to find a word for it, and I'm always hesitant to use it. It is a martyr spirit. There are some of you, very small, who may be called to martyrdom, where you actually lose your physical life. Uh, I have some students at NIAC, Korean students, who say, I believe the Lord is calling me to North Korea. Okay? And I always tell them, if you get into North Korea, there's no guarantee you can get out. And the ones that are really committed will say, that's okay, I'll die there. And I'll say, this is a crazy country where the, the dictator will starve his own people just to buy nuclear weapons. And they will say something like, that's why I need to be there. Okay, that particular spirit is a martyr spirit. Now, some of you may be physically martyred, but most of you probably will not be. But that doesn't change the fact that all of you can adopt this martyr spirit where I have died already. There is nothing else. There's no more Frank. Everything is Jesus. Uh, Jim Elliott, who actually lost his life at the hand of the Alka Indians, to whom he was trying to be a missionary, uh, would write in his journal, I have given over my life to God. This is before he actually got murdered by the Alkas. I've given over my life to God. If God took me right now... It would just be an extension of what I've done in my heart already. Okay, so he embodies this martyr spirit. Okay, now, if you have this martyr spirit, you overcome the enemy. That's what Revelation 12 is teaching. Okay, to the person who says, I've given over everything already. And I don't know, maybe you've said this, maybe not. But if you say that, then the voice of the enemy who threatens to take things away is muted. Got it? 
Now, if you're not at that place but want to be, when we take the elements, I'm just going to ask, Lord, would you make this my heart? I want to take on this, this martyr spirit. And if I'm physically martyred, it'd just be an extension of what's already happened in my heart. Okay? That's the first one. The other one is the one on the right. And I call this the monastic spirit. You know what a monk does or a person in a monastery does? They take two vows, a vow of celibacy, no sex, no marriage, and a vow of poverty, no worldly possessions or very few worldly possessions. Right? That monastic spirit has been lost. I was at a missions conference just last week and they were saying, well, we've got to pray for China, the Christians in China, because they're persecuted. And then someone said, the Christians in China pray for us <laughs> because we live in the United States and we don't understand poverty, voluntary poverty or voluntary celibacy. But anyway, a person who is a monk says this, I don't need those things because I have received everything already. In Jesus, I have everything I need. Uh, some of you may be closer to the monastic spirit than even I am. I see Eddie, Ed, uh, Edward Kim over there. Everything he owns is in a U-Haul right now. Okay, everything he, he has everything. He can look at the U-Haul and he says, I have everything I need. I, on the other hand, have four kids. And if I had to pack up everything I needed, I would need a 20-foot truck for all the wiffle ball bats and tricycles. Okay, I'm a lot further from that monastic spirit than Edward. But all of us can strive for this. And when we go to the elements, maybe you might say, I'm not at that point, but I want to be at that point. Would you give me this spirit of this monastic spirit? Because if I say, in Christ I have everything that I need, then the voice of the prostitute falls mute. That voice always says, you need this extra thing. You have something missing in your life. If you say, I have everything, then that voice is silenced. Okay, so I am not drawn to gain. Uh, I'll share one quick story, and then that'll be it. I had two stories, but I think I'm going to wind it down. And that'll be illustrating this one, the prostitute. I was ministering to one student who, he was the top student in one of my classes, really intelligent guy. Very impressive. But he said, uh, I did, this didn't come out in the class, but I've only been a Christian for six months. I said, really? I would not have guessed that. And he says, yeah, I've, my life turned around radically. I read the Bible voraciously. But he said, I, I was wondering if you could pray for me. Because uh, when I was a non-Christian, there were three things in my life that were rather controlling. The first was Drugs. Okay, so I couldn't stop smoking the weed or the marijuana. But when I followed Jesus like that, the, the need to smoke the weed ended. I was like freed instantly. I said, that's amazing. What else? And he says, well, I was a professional gambler. Okay, so I made my living uh, going to Atlantic City, and I was pretty good, so I could make my living at it. But when I believed in Jesus, I, I turned my back on that, and that has totally gone. I said, that's amazing. And then he goes, but the third one, Dr. Chan, I have not left. Um, I have a girlfriend. I would regularly sleep with my girlfriend. I became a Christian, and she became a Christian, and we have not been able to stop sleeping with each other. We try. We go a few days, 
successfully and then we fall into this sexual sin again. I have not been able to overcome that. So I looked at him and I thought for a second and I tried to encourage him as much as I could. And so I said to him, I am utterly confident uh, that the third will come and that you will have victory in the sexual area. And he says, how can you know that? You don't even know us and how can you know that? And I said, well, you told me (laughs) that you uh, found deliverance or release from the drugs and from the gambling, right? Yes. I said, the drugs, the gambling, and the sex are all part of the same thing. Uh, You've sought satisfaction in the drugs. You've sought satisfaction in the gambling because there is probably some pain in your life that the drugs and the gambling smothered over. There'd be like a rush from winning, you know, in Vegas or something. There's a rush from the high of the marijuana. It temporarily masks or covers up some pain that you're carrying around with you all the time. Now, he didn't go respond or anything like that, but I just kept on talking. I said, the sex is the same way. There's a momentary rush, endorphins are released and so on, that masks the same pain in your life. Now, you've received Jesus and you've gotten some healing. There's an acceptance in Jesus, a love that you've received in Jesus that has enabled you to let go of the drugs and the gambling, right? I said, it's the same thing. As you continue to be healed and find love and acceptance, and that's what sex is. You, you, know, you feel love and accepted by the person you're sleeping with. It feels like love. It's not. Okay, but as that hole in your heart begins to get plugged, the need for sexual satisfaction will, will die down, just like the need for drugs and the need for gambling. And I think he received what I said. Uh, but that's what I'm trying to say. This is an illustration of the prostitute side. As you begin to say, I have received everything already, I am not drawn to the dangling of the thing that i told that I'm supposed to want, I will achieve victory. And folks, maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe I just described you. you know? You'd like to have some freedom in that area. The Bible describes the way. Come out of her. That's another PG-13 image. Come out of the prostitute. Don't remain united with her. Come out of her. Because all that you seek is found in me. Uh, I don't have time to do the story about the uh, beast, but there are many, many stories I could tell you, maybe afterwards, if you're subject to the voice of intimidation, how to find freedom from that. I see the communion elements here. Is it okay if I just go right into the communion, do you think? This is what we're going to do, folks. I'm going to get maybe a keyboardist or someone in the worship team just to play. Or John, if you want to come and just grab your guitar or something like that. We need the words of institution in 1 Corinthians 11. I'll say a few words and then we'll invite people to come on up here. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, Folks, uh, there have been theological debates about the nature of the presence of Jesus in these uh, elements. Uh, I'm not interested in the theological debates. I'm interested in the fact that Jesus is present. I think it was Calvin who said the presence of God, the presence of Jesus is no greater than when the church meets at the Lord's Supper. So this is us. Uh, He says, this is my blood and this is my body. And as you partake of the bread and the juice, your body breaks it down you know, the enzymes break it down to, you know, all of its uh, amino acids, and you assimilate it again, right? Your intestines absorb it, and it becomes part of you. Okay, that's a similar thing that happens in the spirit. When you partake of these elements, and remember, Jesus says, this is me, then you are assimilating more of Jesus into yourself. That's the visual or prophetic image. And so we had those two words. Uh, I have given everything over to the Lord. So the devil's threats to take things away are meaningless. I have everything I need in the Lord. So the devil's promises of extra things are meaningless. Some of you are there. Some of you want to get there. Okay, if you want to get there, uh, come. Receive the elements and make that your your prayer. Say, Lord, I'm not where I I should be. I'm not where I, I, I want to be. Will you take me there? You're not going to get there on your own. There's nothing in your own strength or ability that will bring you there, but Jesus will bring you there. And that's why he left this, okay? He left this so he can become a part of you, and this is symbolic. And I think maybe even in the moment, there's some real transference of himself imparted to you. I'll pray, and then on your own, when you are ready, you can meditate as long as you want. But you, when you're ready, you just form a line right up this aisle here. Grab a piece of this challah bread. Uh, you can partake here or at your seat. Take a cup. And when you're ready, and just say, Lord, I want this to be real. Then go ahead. Take it, partake of the elements. We don't have to do it all at once. And when enough people have been served and had a chance to be with Jesus, uh, we'll close in prayer. We'll have uh, the worship team play. Feel free to come up.
Jesus said, uh, for as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus died in order that you and I might have life. Let's rejoice together and pray. Father, thank you for this moment of intimacy and communion in a real sense of the word with you. Each one of us, as we said, is not yet at the place where you want us to be. Would you walk us there, hand in hand, together with you, bring us to the place and make us the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's do one last song, House of the Lord. Let's all stand. Here in your house, I find your. 
everyone for joining us. I just need to make one announcement at 145 just out here, just right outside here, there's a group photo. So we're going to go to lunch right now and then at 145 just meet and gather right outside this uh, window here for a, a group shot. Let me close in prayer and then we'll be off to lunch. Father, we ask that you would seal up now all that has happened. If anybody has moved their heart in the direction towards you, and maybe away from self and away from pain and away from all that the enemy has tried to do, would you fix that, set it, uh, make that a baseline place to which we can always return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot. See you at lunch.